You know, Job's so-called friends were not really friends. We talk about Zophar today, one of the persons that comes in to talk to Job. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Glad you decided to join us today as we continue our journey through the Bible in the book of Job. You know, this is interesting. And as we focus on this, Corey and Ryan are here to help us. Corey, what's going on? Well, you know, in our assigned reading today, Job mentions the papyrus reed and plant twice. So we're gonna be taking a look at that today. Ryan? Today, my focus is on Job 9.9, which mentions the Pleiades and Orion. So it's gonna be a good one. All right, very good. Yeah, I look forward to that. Janice? Today, my segment is called Assumptions. All right, very good. So take your Bible guide out and turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, we'll send it to you. Call us or write to us. But right now, let's listen to what God says to us from his word. Job 11, verses 1 through 9. Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? For you have said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Job chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Job chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. That's what we read today as we continue to go through the Bible. It is wonderful. Now, Zophar is one of the three men who come to comfort Job. Comfort, really? He is from Nema, a northern Arabian city, and his name reflects the arrogance of his statements. It means twittering bird. Zophar perfectly represents the pride of the people who think they speak for God. Have you ever met somebody who thinks they speak for God? In his comments, Zophar claims that God has not dealt with Job as he should have, implying that. It must be worse. I mean, he counters Job's call for justice and declares that Job has done something wrong and he he should repent. Now, this kind of thinking still happens today. It's easy to see in our social media, isn't it? Many people make claims that are absolutely false, but they sound true. Satan, our enemy or the enemy of our soul, does his work through the demands for justice When such demands are not warranted, the book of Job is about us learning that not everything is going to be simple or easy in this life to understand. 
We do not see the spiritual world and we are not God. It's very important to remember that we come to this place. We come to this space realizing that we're not God. We can't see everything. Now there'll come a time at the end of our life when our physical body perishes, but our spirit rises again because we have invited Jesus Christ as Lord of our life to take our sin away. And when we do that, suddenly we will see very clearly. It's going to be very interesting today with Zophar. He speaks foolishness and uh, that's what we're going to study. So turn in your Bible guide to that. If you don't have one, call or write to us. We'll send you one or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Thank you for your donations. We really appreciate them and we thank you for them. Then it takes you to a page where you can download exactly what we see here. Father, today, as we look at your word, we pray that we would see your word to change our hearts. Now, Lord, uh, it's hard to change our hearts, but we need to. We need to let our hearts be shifted and our spirits be changed by your word, the word of God. So help us, Lord, to do that. And we thank you very much for that. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to get off of our ways of seeing things and see things your way and become good Christians, Lord, good Christ followers. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, look at this first passage of scripture because it is interesting. Job chapter 11, verse one. Here is what it says. It says, then Zophar, the Namathite, answered and said, should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold to their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? Wow, that's just like it came off Twitter or came off Facebook or came off YouTube. You see, we are often willing to correct someone when they do not need it. We are often willing to correct someone when they do not need it. We should talk not to please ourselves, but we should talk to help others. Now, now this, is, this is interesting because as we look at this and we see our social media and our way to mouth off to the world, our mouth should be designed to project what God wants. Now, I want you to think about what you've said on social media. Could you place that under God and he could see it and judge it? I'm just asking a question. That's all I'm doing because God does, God does see it and God does judge it. Wow, that's intense. Anyway, let's go back to the scripture. John chapter 11, verse four. For you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. What? Look at verse five. Oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom. For they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. And this guy is something else. Zophar passed judgment when he should not have. Job doesn't need judgment. He needs comfort. We are not to judge someone else's misfortune. 
How many times have we heard people say when they hear that someone falls or fails, well, yeah, he deserved it. They don't need, they don't need to hear that. They need to hear the Lord can help you. If you give your life to the Lord and come to him because he helped me, he can help you. Now that's a very different thing to say, especially on social media, isn't it? Isn't it? You see, we need to understand what God is doing here. He's speaking to our hearts. Lord, help us to hear you in Jesus' name. Now, let's go back to the scripture, Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. Here's what it says. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Well, you know, tell me something obvious. I mean, come on, Zophar. Zophar claims that God is bigger than our ideas and our thoughts. There's no real proclamation of unknown truth here. We know that. We need to be people who understand pain, who understand suffering of the people. Now, I know that there's many people who have are quick to judge everybody on everything and make comments and all of this going on. But, but let me explain something. God has called us as Christ followers to be here, to follow the ways of Christ. Do you think that Jesus Christ would be on Twitter slamming him down? Do you think that Jesus Christ, there is one way you can tell. The woman caught in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus. She comes to Jesus and they're saying, see, we caught her in adultery. We saw it. She should be stoned. What did Jesus say to her? Nothing. What did he say to them? He who is without sin, throw the first stone. <laughs> he leveled the playing field. Beloved, we need to hear when God speaks to our hearts. We need to level the playing field and say, I'm a sinner too. And you know what? Rod Hembry, I'm a sinner too. God makes me able to overcome sin. Not all of it, I'm working on it. But overcome sin, that's the reality. But the truth is that when someone else fails, my job is not to get in there and chop them up. My job is to forgive and allow them to hear the healing power of the Holy Spirit in their life and show them where it is. Wouldn't that be interesting if we all decided to do that instead of chopping each other up? Very, very interesting. I want to say, Father, we, we need a, a real revelation of your Holy Spirit in today's wild world. Help us, Father. This is what we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, thank you for your words in Job. And we said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
All right, so in two places in our assigned reading today, Job mentions the papyrus plant. The first time is in Job 8, verse 11, where he says, can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? And then in 9, verse 26, he says this, I'm gonna do 25 and 26. My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. They skim past like boats of papyrus, like eagles swooping down on their prey. So he's given us two bits of information about the papyrus plant. One, that it grows in marshy areas or right next to water. And two, that boats are made out of the papyrus reed. Well, we're gonna delve into history right now and see what we can learn about papyrus. The papyrus plant is a type of reed that grows in watery areas, like the banks of rivers and marshes. This impressive plant was almost synonymous with ancient Egypt and her famous Nile River. The plants, on average, grow to around 15 feet tall, and their stalks are topped with flowing fronds and small brown flowers. In ancient Egypt, papyrus had many uses. Its wood-like root was used for carving and burning. Its green fibrous stem was turned into cloth, rope, sandals, and baskets. And its inner white pith was both eaten and turned into Egypt's famous papyrus paper. While this organic paper is prone to decomposition, some ancient pieces have survived until today, and upon examination of these pieces, knowledge from ancient history and examinations of Egyptian tomb paintings, the production process is known well enough that it has been recreated in Egypt today. The papyrus plant was harvested by hand in the summer using boats on the Nile. The plants were pulled out, roots and all, and bundled. Next, their fronds would be cut off and discarded while the stalk's outer rind was peeled off. The inner pith of the plant would then be cut into shorter pieces and very thinly sliced and placed into water to soak. These slices were then arranged vertically with their edges overlapping. On top of them, another layer was arranged horizontally. Then the paper would be beaten together and pressed to dry, the plant's own juice acting as the binding glue. Once thoroughly dry, the paper was buffed smooth with a rounded stone, piece of ivory, or shell, and its edges were cut to be straight and to a standard size. Rolls of papyrus were also made for sale to scribes. By pasting sheets together and rolling them up, the scribe could then choose the length of papyrus desired and slice it off the roll. The beginning date for papyrus production is not known, but credit is given to the ancient Egyptians for the ingenuity of the process. It is known that despite other options for writing material, papyrus use and manufacture continued until about the 9th century AD, when the convenience of other methods gradually replaced its need. So many, many uses for this ancient plant and examples of these uses that have survived time. And I think it's just so interesting that there is still a cottage industry of papyrus paper making in Egypt today. Uh, it's just really neat that someone is carrying on that tradition uh, and always exciting when a new archaeological find comes out with scraps of papyrus paper, because of course it is still paper, so it degrades with time much more quickly than, say, animal skin or a stone or even plaster would degrade. You know, it's a miracle because when you look at a book like this, mm -hmm. um, this is the Bible, and you turn pages, you turn pages and there's reading on those pages, there's words mm -hmm. on those pages, sentences and paragraphs and so on. And you begin to realize that, wait a minute, 
originally it was on the scroll, which is behind you. Yeah. Uh, that's a section of the Bible. And the scroll itself, I mean, to carry one chapter of the Bible would be carry like five or six scrolls. That'd be crazy. <laughs> and yet they reduced it. <laughs> or a book, it. yeah. Yeah, they reduced it to this. And the papyrus plant was very interesting because scrolls were made from it uh, to yep. write on. Yeah, And uh, they it could becomes, be. It becomes uh, fascinating when you when you look at the printing press in the 1400s and the rest of it because it really is interesting. Today we just say, well, give me a piece of paper and we grab it out of, well, I'm going to find a piece of paper and grab it and write it down. But it never used to be that way. No, and things were handmade. They had, they took much more time than they do fact, today. They did. Mm -hmm. And uh, the books. Which is good and bad. There's, there's benefits and negatives to both. Yeah, we, we seem to be in a place where there's a lot of books. And uh, that sometimes is not a good thing. So we'll see. Anyway, Ryan, go ahead. Yes. Well, today my segment is based on Job 9.9, which acknowledges God as the creator of the Pleiades and Orion. And what's interesting is that the Pleiades is mentioned three times in the Bible, once in Amos and twice in Job. And another interesting thing is that each time the Pleiades is mentioned, it's always mentioned in conjunction with the constellation Orion. So today, I want to take a look at these stars from both a scientific and a scriptural perspective, as well as a historical perspective. So check it out. Perhaps nearly as old as the stars themselves are the constellations. Indeed, out of the 88 officially recognized constellations today, 48 of them were handed down to us by the ancient Greeks, who in turn had relied heavily on even more ancient sources, which are now lost to us. A constellation is a group of stars that is arranged in a familiar shape, such as a person, an animal, or an object. The word constellation is fittingly accurate, since it is comprised of the Latin words con, meaning together, and stella, meaning star. What's more, there are a few unofficial groupings of stars, either within a single constellation or spanning several constellations, which astronomers call asterisms. Some examples of asterisms include the Big Dipper, which is part of the Big Bear, as well as the Summer Triangle, which are three bright stars, each in separate constellations. Interestingly, the Bible makes a few references to some of these stars and constellations. For example, the Pleiades are mentioned no less than three times in Scripture, twice in Job 9.9 and Job 38.31, and once in Amos 5.8. Of course, the Pleiades is neither a constellation nor an asterism, but rather a star cluster. As astronomer Dr. Danny Faulkner explains, the Pleiades appears as a tight knot of stars visible high overhead during winter evenings in the Northern Hemisphere. Six or seven Pleiades, what we call the individual members of the Pleiades, can easily be seen on a dark, clear night, though the star cluster contains about a thousand stars. The Pleiades is sometimes called the Seven Sisters. In fact, in Amos 5.8, the King James Version renders it the Seven Stars, though more modern translations call it the Pleiades. Nevertheless, in all three biblical occurrences, the Hebrew word is the same and means a heap or pile. Similarly, all three of the occurrences where Pleiades is mentioned, Orion is also mentioned in conjunction. However, unlike the Pleiades, Orion is a constellation. Known as the Hunter, Orion resembles the figure of a man, and it is relatively easy to pick out. Interestingly, the Hebrew word used for Orion in the Old Testament is a word that is translated the other 70 times that it occurs as fool. Notably, the word appears translated as fool 11 times in Proverbs 26. 
Although Jewish tradition identifies Orion with Nimrod, whom Genesis 10, 8, and 9 calls a mighty hunter, the record of this identification dates to medieval times, so it isn't clear that the ancient Hebrews would have identified Orion with Nimrod. What is clear is that in all three of these biblical passages, God and God alone is acknowledged as the creator of these magnificent heavenly bodies. As God himself rhetorically asks Job, and by extension us, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? So as I mentioned at the end of the segment there, the main point of the biblical references to these stars is to acknowledge God as their creator. That's really, really important. These stars can't tell us the future or anything about ourselves as astrology teaches. Only God can do that. These verses reaffirm that the stars are created entities made by God for his glory, first of all, and secondly, for our benefit, as Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 teaches. You know, th this is important because the stars themselves have been here. Like I was thinking the other day when I looked at the moon, I remember looking at the moon when I was 12 years old mm -hmm. and got my first telescope. It was awesome. It's a little telescope. And uh, today I look at the moon with my bigger telescope and I think the moon hasn't changed. It's always been there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. the stars have been here. People have come and gone and outlived. Uh, the stars have outlived them. And it's really amazing. And here we have the stars showing up in the Bible and the Pleiades and the Orion and the rest of it. It's fascinating. It is. And you know, my, my firstborn son, when he was two, he noticed the stars. We'd be driving along and he'd, he'd point up, stars, stars. And that always surprised me, uh, pleasantly surprised me. That's interesting. And, you know, we need to pay attention to, because life is so wrapped here, but we need to pay attention to the things that God created out there, because mm -hmm. that's really important. We'll get into more of this on the next program. Janice, go ahead. Yes, well, I titled my segment today, Assumptions. And you know, there's two really big reasons why it hurts my heart to read the book of Job. Number one, my heart hurt, hurts for Job because he loses everything. And we have the advantage of knowing why he's going through what he's going through and through. And we know the end. But the other reason that my heart hurts is because I can see so much of myself in what you call, Rod, the so-called friends of Job. Well, then I need to put myself in that same category that to a lot of people, I'm a so-called friend because I see shades of myself in every one of these men who come to comfort Job. And in today's chapter that we isolated, Job chapter 11, we see that Zophar is making the assumption that Job needs to repent, and he's really urging him to repent. And that's not what the issue is. That's not what the problem is. And in fact, he's kind of coming after Job like a prosecuting attorney. He's asking him a bunch, he's just hammering him with a bunch of these questions that have a negative response, uh, like, like he, he would do to the defendant, which if you put yourself in that position, if you do that to somebody, it puts them in a defensive position right away. And that doesn't bring comfort. It, it brings more stress and more anxiety to the situation. And sadly, I know that I have done that uh, to others uh, myself. And sometimes we jump to our own conclusions, don't we? And the Bible 
you know, tells us that we are not to judge the outward appearance. And that doesn't just mean how we, how somebody looks on the outside, sometimes even how they react on the outside, because we don't know what is in their heart, what's in their mind, what has been happening. The only person that does know that is God. And so that's what we have to remember in these situations. And I know it's very easy for me to sit here and talk about it with you who are sitting there. When we are in different circumstances and different circumstances present them to, you know, different circumstances present themselves to us every day in life. But that's why it's so important for us, those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to stay in his word. Because that is where it helps to ground us. This is our solid foundation. It does not change. His word remains the same. We need to spend time in prayer with God and letting him speak to us, meditating in his word. So we have the behind the scenes advantage of what's really going on with Job. But we need to remind ourselves when we are faced with these type of situations that we cannot jump to our own assumptions. And as Zophar did, urging Job to repent, 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 which put Job in a very defensive position. I think the important part to remember, Jan, is uh, that all of his friends did that. You know, you've got... Mm -hmm. So far, you've got Bill Dad, you've got Eliphaz, mm-hmm. they all did that. And then you've got Elihu, which I don't even like to talk about because he just arrogantly interrupts everybody and then God just interrupts Well, him he did wait it. till the end. But at least he waited <laughs> till the end. And everyone else was just as arrogant, too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. They just didn't say it in the same way. These exactly. friends did not see, we see it because we read the first three chapters. Mm-hmm. And Satan said to God, have you seen your servant Job? Or mm-hmm. God said, have you seen yeah. your servant? And yeah. Satan says, yeah, it's because you bless him. Mm-hmm. Take your blessing away and he'll curse you and die. Mm-hmm. And even his wife said, just curse God and die. Yeah. He said, but though he slay me, mm-hmm. I will worship him. Mm-hmm. That is stunning. I think my focus over the next few days is, is, is from a different angle. It's more from a personal angle because all of us have friends. All of us have situations that come to us and we need to be very careful. We're very quick to speak. A lot of us are slow to listen, but quick to speak. And so I think there's a lot of things that we can individually learn from each one of these of these friends of Job because, man, I can see myself in a lot of them and uh, God needs to help me. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and and we'll say it this way. Lord, help me to listen 
and to do what your Holy Spirit calls me to do. And help me to think about that in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. Hey, you know what? I'd love to pray for you. Come to us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 Eastern time or New York time. And we'll pray for you. We're live on Facebook and YouTube and we're live on Bible Discovery TV and we'll pray for you.